You can listen to our new audiobook, I Trust When Dark My Road, A Lutheran View of Depression. It's voiced by the book's author, Pastor Todd Peppercorn, and includes an introduction voiced by Pastor Matt Harrison, President of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Just go to issuesetc.org, enter your email address, and we'll send you a link to the audiobook, I Trust When Dark My Road, A Lutheran View of Depression, issuesetc.org, and enter your email address. When the war started, they protected me. Took better care of me than humans would have. They're not people, Maya. It's just programming. Ten years ago today, the artificial intelligence created to protect us detonated a nuclear warhead in Los Angeles. This is a fight for our very existence. Sergeant Taylor, we are this close to winning the war. But the AI are developing a super weapon. Retrieve it. Or they win. Yeah, it's just a kid. Are you going to heaven? No. You gotta be a good person to go to heaven. So, we're just saying, we can't go to heaven because you're not good. And I'm not a person. Do you have any idea what the thing is? She looks like a little girl now, but she's growing. Whoever has that kid wins the war. That is the trailer for the movie The Creator, a story of artificial intelligence, a war with human beings, and raising a common question in science fiction film about transhumanism. Welcome back to Issues Etc., coming to you live from the studios of Lutheran Public Radio in Collinsville, Illinois. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. Pastor Ted Geese joins us to review the movie The Creator, and then we'll spend some time with Dr. Michael New of the Charlotte Lozier Institute discussing declining abortion rates in North Carolina and Ohio. Pastor Ted Geese has a bachelor's degree in fine arts. He's pastor of Mount Olive Lutheran Church in Regina, Saskatchewan, Canada, and he teaches a course for Concordia Lutheran Theological Seminary titled A Lutheran Approach to Art, Media, and Film. Ted, welcome back. Thanks, Todd. Our listeners have not heard from you in a while. You have been in Kenya. What were you up to? Yeah, I, I was invited to come to the uh, Lutherans in Africa Lutheran School of Theology, which is outside of Nairobi in the countryside by the Gong Hills. And I was there for three weeks teaching, taught on ecclesiastical art and its place in the church, spent some time teaching also a week on the liturgy, focusing on the common service and setting three and looking at all of the ways in which we're just taking God's word and, and uh, saying it back to God in the midst of the liturgy and the, the great benefits and wonderful blessings we receive in the liturgy of the church. And then also a week uh, on evangelism. So I had uh, students from Burundi and from Rwanda and from South Sudan and Kenya and Uganda. It was a wonderful time. I had a chance to lead services there and be involved in their chapel services and tutor the students when it came to chanting parts of the liturgy and it was just a very wonderful experience and actually partway through my wife came and joined me and she's a librarian so she did a lot of work 
to help get their library sorted out as well as much as she could do in two weeks time. So it was a very exciting and wonderful time to be together with all the people there. And the focus there is confessional Lutheranism for Africa. And this Lutheran school of theology is now one of two accredited schools in the whole continent of Africa where a Lutheran can go and, and train to be a pastor. So it's a really wonderful location and place, and the people there are working very hard to supply those pastors for all of those countries, and pretty much anybody from Africa could go there and study. How would you describe, given your experience there, the state of confessional Lutheranism in Kenya? Well, it's a small piece of the puzzle of what's going on in Africa and in Kenya. So a lot of what the church there is dealing with is like just a lot of Pentecostalism and kind of prosperity gospel related stuff is all over the place. And Kenya is one of these places where what I perceived over the time that I was there is that there's kind of upward mobility happening. Like there are people who are scraping and scrambling and kind of working their way up from agrarian country traditional life into towns and cities. So there's lots of construction going on. It looks maybe like it might have been here in the 1920s and 30s and 40s as people were coming off of farms and going into towns and cities and everybody was trying to move into that middle class, except with cell phones. So everywhere you look, there's also lots of manual labor going on, lots of manual agriculture going on. I mean, they have equipment and machines and things, but you'll see people just doing the manual labor. So there's an underpinning there of people who are trying to get ahead. And of course, the prosperity gospel would be appealing to people like that. The trouble is, is that there's also lots of suffering. There's lots of poverty. There's lots of struggle going on. So for that end of the life of a Kenyan or people in those parts of East Africa, and in the face of Islam, like prosperity gospel and a lot of Pentecostalism isn't going to have answers for all of those things. And it also isn't going to be as enriching and fulfilling as confessional Lutheranism is. So there's lots of opportunity everywhere you look. There's lots that can be done. And the free gospel is something that everybody is in desperate need of. Turning to our subject of the movie, The Creator, you say that this is a, despite your ambivalence of whether or not the director intended this or not. It's a deeply anti-Christian film. What do you mean? Okay, so we're going to have, like, spoilers, obviously, throughout this review. Dear listener, so if you haven't seen this and you really want to go in without knowing anything, I went into it not really knowing a whole lot. I'd seen some trailers and knew a little bit about this director. But if you want to have that experience, then, you know, come back. But essentially, one of the things that struck me as I watched the film is that this is really a Buddhist film. Everything about it is Eastern spirituality, so like Buddhist-related stuff all the way through it. So just on the face of it, if you have a film that is essentially a Buddhist film, it's by definition going to be anti-Christian. I mean, there's going to be some veneer of some things because it's like geared towards a western audience for instance the central character his name is joshua 
John David Washington plays the character of Joshua. So, well, Joshua is a biblical name. It comes from the Old Testament. It also is similar, like to Jesus's name as well. So, there's there's some things like that in there. There's as you're watching it, you kind of like there's this incarnational kind of thing that happens with one of the characters. This character of Elfie. This is a sci-fi movie, and the character of Elfie is like a, a robotic AI being and is also like the key to everything and is the physical makeup of this AI is a little girl named Alfie for short. And the name that's given to this AI is Alpha O, which a Christian checking it out is going to go, okay, well, Alpha O, Alpha and Omega, that's going to bring to mind the revelation of St. John. So to revelation 22, for instance, where Jesus says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. So we can talk more about that along the way, but there are some things that are would seem like they're from Western religious background, like some things that are drawn from scripture or things that on the surface look maybe a little bit Christian, uh, let's say, or even just vaguely Western in its religious outlook, like talking about heaven or talking about being a good person. But being a good person and talking about heaven, like these things will also crop up in Hinduism and in Buddhism. So here, once you get past that veneer at the top and start digging into it, it starts to look like a very Buddhist film with like lots of Buddhist ideas in it. So just on the whole, if something is like Buddhist, it's not going to be Christian. Let's talk about the premise and the plot of this film. So it's set in the future, and uh, but not that far away in the future, like t- 2065 or something like that. And it's this future world where the Western world, like North America particularly, United States, like America is the, the key focus of this, is at war with AI. So they're not at war with a particular country, let's say, or a nation or an area or anything like that per se, they're at war with AI. So this is kind of in the same vein of war on terror kind of an idea. And the reason that they're at war with AI is because along the way, this artificial intelligence and robotics and all of this, they were developed in part through everything going on in the world, but also in the United States. And they were all kind of ticking along, having a great time. And then there was a nuclear explosion, a bomb detonated in Los Angeles. And this was attributed to the AI, that the AI did this, and then the Americans decided to have a war against the AI. The AI are harbored in a part of the world called New Asia, which is kind of vaguely like Thailand, Vietnam, kind of an area. And there, these AI, artificial intelligent robots, are um, human, very, very human-looking in some cases. Androids are being harbored and they're trying to live in harmony with them there. So that's kind of like the world that it's in. And what you have is kind of clandestine special ops, military engagement stuff going on in this war. And this character of Joshua, who I mentioned played by John David Washington is roped into a mission to uh, go and track down this super weapon again, spoilers, but the super weapon turns out to be this little adorable AI called Alfie. So there's more to it than that. He had already previously been undercover. He, his undercover operation was blown when the military kind of rushed in 
Um, and he was, he was in a relationship with this lady who's the daughter of one of these AI scientists and, and her name was Maya and he, she was presumed dead, but then this is how they rope him back in. She turns out to be maybe alive. And once he finds out that the weapon is this little AI, then the possibility that this AI could get him to his presumed dead, but now hopefully alive wife gets them on a kind of road trip, as it were, where they're trying to stay one step ahead of the American military that's kind of going after them or trying to find the same target that they're looking for. And also police and government and different things going on in New Asia that also involve AI. And then there's like a little group of resistant fighters. There's a lot going on here. It's a lot of world building and it's a lot of science fiction. You say that a good script editor could have saved the production millions of dollars. What do you mean? Yeah, this is kind of interesting because like when you look at this movie, like I sat down in the theater, watched this film, and it looks like a $250 million budget film. And then when you go and look into the numbers, it turns out its estimated budget is like $80 million. So it's under $100 million. But it looks just like better than the things we've been watching lately, like the last Indiana Jones movie, or better than most of the Marvel things that have been coming out. Better than lots of the big things I, I watched on the plane on the way back, the Flash movie with Ezra Miller. It looked better than that. Now, granted, I was watching it on a little TV screen in the back of a chair on an airplane. It looked better than all of that stuff, and it was made for a fraction of the cost, like a third of the cost of some of these movies. So getting back to your question, it's like the way the structure of the film happens, often you'll have like a third act, and the third act of the film is kind of broken into two parts, actually. And there's a kind of a spot where you could just kind of end the movie and maybe it would be a downbeat spot to end the movie and it might not be super uplifting, but it would have been poignant and to the point. But then there's this whole other thing that happens afterwards that involves like a shuttle to the moon and a bunch of other things that are going on. All of that other stuff didn't even need to be there to tell the story. So when you're looking at the film itself, if it was $80 million, like under $100 million, and you took out a whole pile of this other stuff and gave the rest of the story a bit more room to breathe to kind of dig deeper into some of the questions that get asked, you probably could have saved like $20 million on a lot of this special effects and different things that were going on. So when you're watching it and you're kind of like digging into it as you go, the script itself is not as slick and polished and as uh, you know masterfully done as all of the actual visuals and the production value. So where the kind of film sort of bogs down a bit is in its storytelling, not in its execution in terms of the visuals. The visuals and most of the acting is just really, really great. So it just kind of starts to fall apart halfway through and then it kind of gets overly predictable and not that great by the end. You know, there's a lot of potential in this film and it kind of doesn't quite get there. Pastor Ted Geese is our guest. We're reviewing the movie The Creator. When we come back, how common is this question raised by this film of whether artificial intelligence is more than the sum of its parts in the rest of science fiction? And we're gonna have a ball just like we always do. Saturday night and the moon is who guess what? Picture you see 
Martin Luther on Mental Health, Practical Advice for Christians Today, is the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for October. It's written by Lutheran layman Dr. Stephen Saunders, professor of psychology at Marquette University. Martin Luther on Mental Health is published by Concordia Publishing House, their phone number 1-800-325-3040, or learn more at issuesetc.org. The Issues Etc. Book of the Month for October, Martin Luther on Mental Health. Come join LCMS Worship next summer for the Institute on Liturgy, Preaching, and Church Music, July 9th through the 12th, 2024, at Concordia University, Nebraska. We'll gather under the theme, The Songs of Deliverance, and focus on the Psalms together. Everything you need to know is at lcms.org slash worship institute, and you can look for registration information in the early part of 2024. That's lcms.org slash worship institute, God's mission right where you are. Educating a new generation of Lutherans, you're listening to Issues Etc. At Memoria Press, the Simply Classical curriculum is specifically designed for students with significant learning challenges. This complete program includes everything you need for a school, self-contained classroom, tutoring, or homeschool to make a classical Christian education accessible for any child. To learn more, visit us at simplyclassical.com and use the coupon code LPR24 at checkout. Simply Classical, a beautiful education for any child. Concordia University Chicago invites all high school students to attend the annual Careers for Christ weekend in person on our beautiful campus in River Forest. Careers for Christ is November 3rd through the 5th. You'll have the opportunity to learn about professional church vocations while having fun with CUC staff, faculty, and students. For more information, visit cuchicago.edu forward slash C, the number four C. That is cuchicago.edu forward slash C, the number four C. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. Pastor Ted Geese is our guest. He teaches a course for Concordia Lutheran Theological Seminary titled Lutheran Approach to Art, Media, and Film. We are reviewing the movie The Creator. Ted, how common in the genre of science fiction is this question of whether or not artificial intelligence is more than just artificial? Oh, like lots and lots and lots. So one of the big ones, and it's a big film that's a uh, inspired this film is Blade Runner by Ridley Scott and since it came out the character of Deckard played by Harrison Ford there's been some you know a director's version of it and then there was the Denis Villeneuve sequel to it that came out and it kind of starts to go to the point where it's like well he himself is a replicant that's what they call them in Blade Runner and the, the question of who am I am I a real person, I'm not a real person, the character of Rachel in Blade Runner. That's the the main question going on in that film. That's in the early 80s. Things go back further than that. But I mean, I, I think that even recently, people would be even more familiar with a character like Data from Star Trek, The Next Generation, TV show, and then films, also on the flight back from, it's a very long flight from Kenya back to uh, Canada. I had a chance to watch the entire third season of Star Trek Picard, the TV show, in which, you know, again, Data is this character that, you know, the question of what is he, who is he, 
And then on top of all of that, now I'm giving spoilers for other things completely. I know that I think you've been watching the Star Trek stuff. The character of Picard himself, he's no longer a human, as it were. He is now a synthetic version of himself with all of his downloaded memories into himself. And everybody just kind of like treats him like he's a person because he ostensibly looks and sounds and talks and acts the way Picard would look and talk and act and sound. So, and like going back to the Blade Runner stuff, it gets into this idea that it's like the technology becomes like very biological. It's not like clunky, lost in space style, Robbie the Robot kind of robots that we're talking about. And this film includes kind of three different grades of robots, like three different grades of, of these. So you have things that are clearly look like droid kind of robot kind of things. And then you have another class of them that are called simulants, which look very, very much like a person in a lot of ways. The, the back of their head kind of belays the fact that they're actually droids of some kind or, or androids or robots so that you know that you're dealing with a simulant. And then the third class is this Alfie who was created kind of in an artificial womb in such a way that the robot will grow into adulthood. And as the, you know, just like a person would adapt and advance through life, so will this character of Alfie. Again, it's mimicry. It's like, how close is the thing to the reality of, of humanity? And then that starts getting into these questions of like, what is real? What isn't real? And when they display emotions, are these real emotions or are they, is it programming? And our reactions to it, are they real reactions or or not? Like in terms of like, how do they stack up? So th this is all stuff that, that kind of permeates the film. And I guess it gets into the, the territory of transhumanism as well. So, I mean, like we can kind of dig into some of the, those things if we'd like. Well, I'm thinking about your classic, like 2001 A Space Odyssey, where the onboard computer, it's not overtly part of the plot, but especially the death scene of the onboard computer, there's a huge question mark being left there. Is he simply shutting down a computer? Is he killing someone? There was that film in 2001 AI, Artificial Intelligence, if you remember that one, kind of a retelling of Pinocchio's story, iRobot. This seems to be a really common theme. It is, and the reason it's so, such like, an AI is a great example. So that's one that Stanley Kubrick also worked on, and uh, Steven Spielberg came in at the end and finished it because uh, Stanley Kubrick died. But that one, again, it's a little boy. Like, And the, the, the thing that people freaked out about inside the story of the movie is that this artificial intelligence was made into a little child. And here it's the same sort of thing. The key central artificial intelligence character is a little little child, in this case a little girl, or presented in that way. So it's a very common theme that comes up over and over again. And it also, the movie kind of made me think of another one. There's a Spike Jones film called Her from 2013, where Joaquin Phoenix falls in love with his basically personal assistant phone it prefigured some of the AI stuff that's going on now. I think Scarlett Johansson plays the voice of the AI assistant on the phone that he falls in love with. But question of like, and you, you were just mentioning the idea that, well, if I turn off Hal 
in 2001 A Space Odyssey, am I killing something? And that question gets brought up in this film as well. And little Elfie is asking questions about life and death kind of related stuff. And Joshua just says, they're just off. He doesn't want to say dead. So there's this kind of notion of that. They even get into a conversation about heaven and who can be in heaven and whether they can go to heaven. And Joshua says that it's a, it's a place in the sky and it's somewhere that good people go. And then this Alfie character wants to know if they can go. And he says, well, I can't go because I'm not a good person. And then Alfie, the AI, says that they can't go because they aren't a person. So what this is digging into in a lot of ways is, and I think it's an apologetic for the idea of equal rights for artificial intelligence. People will find in the future, I'm sure, situations where you'll have something like PETA, but it won't be the people for the uh, ethical treatment of animals. It'll be people for the ethical treatment of AI or something. This is kind of, it's envisioning a world where these kinds of things are going to have to be hashed out by society. And that's some of the questions that are getting asked in this film. You had mentioned Blade Runner. When that film was made, you point out this was really an academic question because there was no artificial intelligence to speak of. It was a concept of science fiction. Now it is with us every single day. My email program anticipates my next word when I'm writing an email and puts it there on the page for me. It's very simple like that. Or we've all interacted with tech help that is just AI or some more sophisticated examples. You talk about the Boston Dynamics robots that scare everybody and will probably be walking the streets next year. Why is this a more pressing question today? There's that little uh, kind of analogy or parabolic kind of like idea of the the frog or toad or whatever in a pot. Slowly, slowly you turn up the heat and if the water were boiling hot, it would jump right out. But if it slowly gets turned up, then, then uh, the frog will just cook in the water, right? So I have never tested that to see if that's actually the case. I don't know the validity or truth of that as a as an illustration. But the idea that what you're talking about is incrementally, bit by bit, you know, like you, you don't get freaked out too much because of auto correction or something or anticipating your next word in your email as much as it bothers you when suddenly you're getting advertisements for things that you just had a side conversation with somebody in real life popping up on your, you know, social media platforms. And of course, the idea of artificial intelligence being like a robot that looks like a person, something like C-3PO or something from Star Wars, that is like the interface, right? So, and that in and of itself is kind of like, well, I should be able to relate more to it because it's human looking and things that are like less human looking you would have a harder time to identify or to relate to. So for instance, in the Matrix films, you have this artificial intelligence kind of stuff going on and they're the villains, but they look like giant like spiders. And of course, spiders are gonna be scary for lots of people. I mean, otherwise they wouldn't make a movie like Arachnophobia, right? So if you want to have a robot be 
or the AI be the sort of thing that you would be endearing, then maybe you make it look like a little kid and you have it be all, have all of the same sort of qualities that a little kid would have because it's taking advantage of the fact that people have an innate desire to take care of children. Like if, if you see a, tr a child in trouble, you're going to want to do something to help that child. So the interface is something that a lot of these films kind of dig into or sci-fi in general dig into. And we live in a world where there's artificial intelligence connected to things like algorithms that are disembodied. Like they don't have that same sort of physical physicality where they look like people. And I think this is where that question of the uncanny valley and like at what point does something, is it something you can like or feel feelings towards or whatever? And at what point is it something that is going to make you reject it just out of hand? I think these are things that are kind of also a little bit connected in this film as well. It's digging into some of those things. Like there's choices being made in the way that the film is being put forward that says, you know, more human than human to borrow from Blade Runner again. When the goal is to have some sort of synthesis between humanity and the artificial, that's where you start getting into the transhumanist end of it. So this film also has scans of people's consciousness or whatever being uploaded into robotic bodies or people donating their likenesses so that these simulants can have a lifelike look to them. And they have a couple of instances in the course of the film where there are romantic relationships between humans and these non-humans, these AI. So this is all part of the mix. Pastor Ted Geese is our guest. We are reviewing the movie The Creator. On the other side, we'll talk about the visuals. Right now, many churches are planning their budgets for the next fiscal year. You can promote your confessional Lutheran church and support the worldwide outreach of issues, etc. by becoming a congregational sponsor. When your church pledges $1,000, we'll publicize your congregation on the podcast, at our website, and in the Issues Etc. journal. Learn more on the Support Donate page at issuesetc.org. Don't miss your congregation's budget deadline. Become an Issues Etc. congregational sponsor. Psalm 144.1 Blessed be the Lord my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. Those serving in the armed forces want LCMS chaplains. We need courageous pastors to bring the gospel and sacraments to those protecting our nation, along with wise counsel and the peace found only in Christ Jesus. If you are between the age of 26 and 43 and have a heart for ministry in the armed forces, call 314-996-1337 or email lcmschaps at lcms.org. Hi, this is Pastor Brian Katchelmeyer of Redeemer Lutheran Church in Los Alamos, New Mexico. Over the next five years, Los Alamos National Laboratory is planning to hire thousands of new employees in the areas of science, engineering, security, administration, and construction. If you have both a technical and confessional mind, Los Alamos may be the place for you. I invite you to explore the possibilities on the websites for the Town, Laboratory, and Redeemer Lutheran Church. 
The Biblical Worldview Conference is Saturday, November 4th in Chicago. This year's theme is, For Such a Time as This, Discernment, Boldness, and Compassion. Brian Wolfmiller, John Bombaro, and others will be speaking on gender-solid parenting, wokeism in schools, transgender pronouns, and sharing Christ in a woke culture. For more information, visit worldviewchicago.org. The Biblical Worldview Conference, November 4th in Chicago, worldviewchicago.org. Your lifeline to the Lutheran worldview. You're listening to Issues Etc. Is it hard? Yes. Will it challenge you? Absolutely. Is it a blessing from God for you and those you will serve without question? Dr. Lawrence Rast, president of Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. The pastoral ministry is all of these things, and that's why Concordia Theological Seminary exists to form servants in Jesus Christ who teach the faithful, reach the lost, and care for all. Men from all over the world with a variety of unique backgrounds come to our campus to receive faithful training that will equip them for the challenging but blessed work of serving as pastors in Christ's church. Learn more about studying for the vocation of pastor at ctsfw.edu or call 1-800-481-2155. Christ-Centered Worship, Confessional Theology, Lutheran Community, Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. Special thanks to Pastor James Douthwaite and Hope Lutheran Church in Hamilton, Virginia for recently becoming an Issues Etc. congregational sponsor. Hope Lutheran meets in the Old Chapel of Hamilton Baptist Church. When your confessional Lutheran Church pledges $1,000 from its mission or advertising budget, we'll promote your congregation on the podcast at our website and in the Issues Etc. journal. Most churches are planning their budgets now for 2024. You'll find an informational flyer on the support donate page at issuesetc.org. Become an Issues Etc. congregational sponsor next year. Pastor Ted Geese is our guest. We're reviewing the movie The Creator. Ted, talk a little bit about the visuals. You said that it looked like it cost more money to make than it did. I read a long article about the special effects and transforming LAX into a galactic spaceport. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of things like that that are kind of littered through the film. It definitely has a visual style of its own, but to me, as I was watching it, I was reminded of films like District 9 by Neil Blumkamp. He also did that movie Chappie. We've talked about Chappie. Uh, That was way long time ago, but there's some kind of connections with that too. This this is one of these films that when you sit down and watch it, you're going to go, oh, this reminds me of this and reminds me of this, but it does kind of get its own style going and its own world building to the point where it's its own thing. But there are so many things like that. Also, the film Elysium was another one that it kind of feels like it draws on some of those kind of visuals as well. And that Neil Blomkamp is another guy who does a good job of, Elysium is one of his films also, where he does a good job of delivering high concept, visually strong films for uh, less money than a lot of studios can seem to pull off. So this Gareth Edwards is in the same sort of camp as that. He himself as a filmmaker has kind of a track record. His first film was called Monsters. It's kind of a 
another one of these road films. Like he, he kind of he's drawing from his own stuff. But that's with Space Aliens, kind of like a Cloverfield kind of a style thing. And then he did Godzilla in 2014, which we've talked about. He did that one. There's a sequel to it. I don't think he did that one. And then he was also connected with Rogue One, a Star Wars story, in which you have Star Destroyers and the Death Star and all of this kind of stuff. His involvement with that was kind of infamous, though, because partway through, he was the, the project was taken away from him near the end and given to Tony Gilroy for completion. And Tony Gilroy was one of the writers on it, and he was also the guy behind the recent Andor Disney TV Plus series that we've talked about. So he kind of has this, Edwards has a, a pedigree in the special effects and the production end of things, and he's kind of moved into the writing, directing end of things. It's an accomplished enough film that he's going to have more films in his future for sure. The uh, I feel like he's on the cusp of like making like a really great, 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 great film. Like these are very good films and sometimes fraught with some issues along the way. But that's just that whole visual stylings of it. Like when you're talking about the LAX thing, it, it's also kind of boils down to like just even the look of the androids. It has a lived in real world kind of feel to all of it, which like some of the stuff that we've seen recently, the book of Boba Fett, for instance, which is a Disney plus thing. There were characters in there. Nothing looked very lived in. It looked like it was all just off of the, the rack. The paint was hardly dried. And of course that's a star Wars related story. And one of the big things about the first star Wars film was that the, just the gritty lived in kind of late seventies aesthetic of the original star Wars film and this has kind of a little bit of that. So this gets back into the Star Wars end of things, is that the, the droids, especially like the police officer droids and things like that in this film, they really have a, a gritty kind of real world feel to them, which gives it kind of a grounding. You said it's not so subtle manipulation of the emotions toward this transhumanist question. How subtle, how manipulative is the film? Well, if you're not wise to it, you're going to have, you know, like because it's a little kid in trouble and the little kid in trouble needs to be taken care of, that's going to push buttons for people, right? And if you're not thinking about it in connection with the bigger transhumanist questions that are at foot, then, you know, you could be blindsided by those big questions. And also, if you're just kind of vaguely thinking, well, it's got some religious overtones and not really thinking about what it's really kind of getting on about, then the emotional part of it can kind of override the rational part of it. Our rational mind is a first article gift from the Lord, as we confess in the Apostles' Creed. But as Christians, it's enlightened by the Holy Spirit. So I would hope that viewers, especially Lutheran viewers that sit down and watch this film, would take a minute to take a step way back and go, okay, so is this little character of Elfie, is this incarnational in the sense that she's supposed to be like a Jesus character? And what does it mean that you have a little artificial intelligence character that is presented as a girl is supposed to be a Jesus character? In the end, the character of Elfie is, you know, Alfie O, is not Alpha and Omega like Christ, who is the beginning and the end, but is rather like a Buddha. 
And there's a big major tip off to that. And this gets into the kind of plot of the film is that this character of Joshua, and I'd mentioned that he was in a relationship with this lady who is the daughter of an AI scientist. Turns out she is the AI scientist and her name is Maya. And Maya happens to be, if people know Buddhism very much, or even have a cursory kind of connection to Buddhism, this name Maya to Buddhism is similar to Mary to Christianity in that Maya is the mother of the Buddha, like one of the Buddhas. So it's getting into all of this kind of stuff, but within Buddhism, it's not a virgin birth. This is not, it's its own thing. This is like, again, watching your way through the film. When I got to the end of the film, there's this moment where the Joshua character and Maya character like come together and they embrace. And in that moment they die and it's all cut and visually put together in such a way that by that point, Alfie is in a little escape pod, which is like a womb and it lands. And then she crawls out of like a distinct hole. That's like a birth. Like there's other stuff going on in this. And it's like, and at that point in the film, Maya is a simulant herself. So it's the human and the, 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 the robotic coming together with this birth of this character who's supposed to be the beginning and the end. And the question is, is it the end of humanity, the beginning of robotic AI future, or is it the end of war and a beginning of peace? But is it the, the end of suffering? So to get into like a Buddhist kind of the wheel of samsara and all of this kind of stuff. This is the stuff that's in it. If you're watching for it, if you're not watching for it, it might float past you, or it might just embed sympathetic feelings towards artificial intelligence. I don't know, like at what point are we going to be having chit chats with our toaster in the morning where we start to feel like friendship towards our toaster? These are kind of questions. And even just saying it like that, there are going to be some people who hear that and they're going to think, well, that's a crass way of putting it. But even if that's the case, it's like, why, why would that be a crass way of putting it? I mean, people have very close relationships sometimes with their cars. And at times that's been made to be a joke uh, along the way in some cases. But where does that line get drawn? Pastor Gates, we've heard your, your pastoral concerns here regarding this film, The Creators. How do you respond to someone who says, look, transhumanism, there are people who are fomenting about it, but it's either so far off in the future or simply just the stuff of science fiction that we need not be concerned? I think that would be a short-sighted look at this kind of a question. There's lots of ways in which this is already happening. And we've talked about it a little bit in terms of like predictive autocorrection and algorithms and things like that. But for individuals, I mean, there are times where people have like a pacemaker. We've got situations where somebody's diabetic and they've got like the little sensor that's constantly checking the blood sugar levels. So there's this merging of the technological and the biological happening constantly. So this becomes an area of biomedical ethics. And like as Lutherans, we should be thinking about these things, particularly because they're not devoid of religious questions. And just because something is presented as scientific or a scientific advancement doesn't mean that there aren't ideas attached to those things. 
So a Lutheran response to all of this is something that we should be thinking about, and we should be thinking about it as Christians to go into another one of these kinds of things. Star Wars, he's more machine now than man, right, for Darth Vader. Like, at what point do we as Christians need to think about how we fit into this and and how we interact with these technologies? And it, sometimes it's just an incremental thing. There was a schlocky B film from forever ago, which now the name of it's escaping me. But there was a whole conversation in it where it was like, well, if you cut off your leg, do you have less soul because your leg is gone? And then, of course, the direction you can go with that is like, well, how much is your soul part of your body anyways? And then could your soul be put into a artificial body? These are questions that people are talking about. And where do we fit into this? You know, so as Christians, we have body, mind, and soul, right? We, we, we are a full integrated being. And in the resurrection, we will be made new and we will have our physical body back. This is going to be something that Christians are going to have to deal with, especially as things continue to develop. Pastor Ted Geese has a bachelor's degree in fine arts. He is pastor of Mount Olive Lutheran Church in Regina, Saskatchewan, Canada, and he teaches a course for Concordia Lutheran Theological Seminary titled A Lutheran Approach to Art, Media, and Film. You'll find a link to his movie reviews on the Talk On Demand archives page at issuesetc.org. Ted, thanks. Thank you. When we come back, we'll be talking with Dr. Michael New of the Charlotte Lozier Institute about declining abortion rates in North Carolina and Ohio. You can listen to our new audiobook, I Trust When Dark My Road, A Lutheran View of Depression. It's voiced by the book's author, Pastor Todd Peppercorn, and includes an introduction voiced by Pastor Matt Harrison, president of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Just go to issuesetc.org, enter your email address, and we'll send you a link to the audiobook, I Trust When Dark My Road, A Lutheran View of Depression, issuesetc.org, and enter your email address. The Gospels report Jesus saying some rather shocking things. For instance, in Luke 14, he tells his disciples, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. How can Jesus say such things? What about some of the other more difficult teachings of Scripture? Do you have questions about them? Well, we answer many of these in the October issue of The Lutheran Witness. Pick up your copy today at cph.org witness. The Lutheran Witness, interpreting the world from a Lutheran perspective. Lutheranism in the Public Square. You're listening to Issues Etc. The Church's Music from the 20th Century. The 17th Century. The 11th Century. Eighth century. The fourth century.
the best of the church's music from the past 2,000 years. LutheranPublicRadio.org.